0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to encourage you to check out our other Time of Grace podcasts like Bible Threads with Dr. Bruce Becker. Uh, Bruce has an amazing way of going deep on some of the coolest things in the Bible, teaching us things that maybe we never learned before despite years and years of Bible reading. If you're interested, just search for Bible Threads wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And now, on to today's episode. I'm not going to lie, the kingdom is a place of authority, but please do not forget what else it is a place of safety. Even if you were a prostitute, a a tax collector, a, a rebel, whatever, Jesus still wants you. So repent and believe this good news the kingdom of heaven has come near. Pretty hard to understand the teachings of Jesus unless you know the thing that Jesus taught about the most. Uh, If you're sitting right here in church today, if you're watching on the live stream at home, you you might be able to take a good guess by this point what Jesus talked about the most. But just in case you're watching this on TV and you weren't here for the intro of this service, could, could you guess what the number one thing that came off the lips of Jesus was? Now, some people might think love. It was Jesus who told us not just to love God and love our neighbor, he taught us even to love our enemies because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That would be a good guess. But it wouldn't be number one. If you guess um, eternal life, what happens after you die, what endures forever, being with God forever, not being with God forever, heaven and hell, that would actually be a really good guess. Jesus talked about that stuff all the time, but it still wasn't number one. Uh, If you guess money, you'd be this close. Do you know probably the number two thing that Jesus talked about in the gospels was gold, silver, taxes, treasures, inheritance? He he could not stop talking about the power of money for better or for worse. It's a good guess, but it's not quite there because the number one thing that Jesus talked about, the most probable words to come out of his mouth once he opens his lips was not about love, And it was not about eternity, it was not about money, it was about the kingdom. The the kingdom of God, he spoke of. The the kingdom of heaven, he repeated in lesson after lesson after lesson. And, And just in case you think I'm making that up, let me direct your attention to the screen and just machine gun a bunch of passages at you from the New Testament. The first ever sermon that Jesus preached was about The kingdom. He said, repent, like change the way you think, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A bit into his teaching ministry, uh, one of his biographers in the Bible tried to to summarize exactly what Jesus did and what he said and so we find this passage. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom (laughs) and then Jesus told a bunch of stories which were called parables. He wanted to teach people what God is like, what Heaven is like, what eternity is like. And do you know how he started almost every one of those stories? I'll show you. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like. And then after he was done teaching, Jesus died. And three days after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. And for about 40 days, Jesus stayed on this earth with his friends. And and do you know what he talked about between his resurrection and his ascension? I'll give you one guess. (laughs) And I'll prove it from Acts chapter 1. It says this, Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. (laughs) And then after Jesus was gone off this earth, do you know what his friends talked about? Peter, Paul, John, Stephen. Read the entire book of Acts and get to the very last verse, chapter 28, verse 31, and we find this summary of what the apostles did. Uh, It says in that verse, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God. So you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a Bible expert, you don't have to be a pastor to figure out in Christianity, in Jesus' heart, and in the hearts of those who knew him best, there were few things that mattered more than the kingdom. Now, what's perhaps even more emotional and interesting is the kind of things that Jesus said about the kingdom. Uh, He told the the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, that his kingdom was not of this world. And he also told his friends that this kingdom was a place of untouchable peace and unshakable joy. Like, get into the kingdom of God and you will have the kind of peace that winning the lottery could not give you. At the end of every single day in the kingdom of God, its citizens can say, but I'm going to be okay. Every single morning when they wake up, as complicated as life can be and and family can be and work can be and and the country can be, they always have a reason to rejoice. There's always some huge bit of good news to take hold of. That's life in the kingdom. And even better, my, my favorite part, are the kinds of people that Jesus said could get into a place like that. Jesus once said, The kingdom belongs to little children. Like, if you're a grade schooler right now, how incredible is that? (laughs) We won't give you a license. You can't buy alcohol. You probably can't get into college. But Jesus said that you can get into the kingdom of God. And then people with really messy, like like broken lives and tons of baggage in their past, prostitutes and tax collectors and notorious sinners, came to Jesus and he promised them that they too had a place in the kingdom. It it was like when, when he was teaching the most unbelievably beautiful place you could ever imagine, its gates were open to the kind of people that you never would have expected. That was the kingdom of God. Ah, but rich people, Jesus said, really religious people, better than average moral people, few of them got into the kingdom. What a concept, huh? But we've been saying for the past few weeks that it's hard to really enjoy a word, and it's almost impossible to apply a word unless you first understand a word. So I won't make you raise your hand. I'm not going to pass you my mic. But if it was just me and you and a cup of coffee right now, and I ask you, what is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? How do you get into the kingdom of God? Do you think you could define the number one thing that Jesus talked about? Well, if you're kind of sheepishly shaking your head, no, or I think so, or maybe I could take a good crack at it. Uh, today, I want to give you a very, very simple answer. Right? Today, I'm going to keep it as simple as can be. If you're taking notes in your program, I'll get there in just one second. I'm going to give you a very clear definition that I personally work off of when I think of the kingdom. But, but first, uh, let me tell you a story so you can feel the emotion of this concept. I want you to imagine for just a second that you and your closest family live Way out in the country, a few miles outside of the city of Jerusalem in the year 701 BC. And the reason you live way out in the country is to be honest with you, it's just kind of nice to do your own thing. But one day, as, as you get up in the morning, um, you kind of look in the valley to the north and, and you see something glimmering in the hot Israeli sun. And as you take a second look, you, you see two things glimmering in the sun. And then suddenly there's a hundred things and, and things and then a thousand things and then 10,000 things and then countless things. And as you're trying to figure out what is lighting up the horizon, a messenger comes sprinting through the valley and he comes right past your home and he only says one word, Assyrians! And suddenly you realize a nightmare is coming true. The Assyrian army from modern day Iraq in Iran is marching towards your village. And, and you don't know much about the Assyrians, but you do know this they are not nice people. In fact, when Assyrian artists wanted to depict what their culture was like, what their kingdom was like, they loved to prove that they were not nice people. Um, The Assyrians loved to capture their enemies, stretch them out by their hands and feet, sharpen their knives and swords, and while they were alive, peel inch by inch by inch of skin off their screaming bodies. If that wasn't disturbing enough, let me show you one more picture. Uh, The Assyrians also loved to impale people they would chop off the top of a tree, That they would sharpen it into a point, they would climb up on some ladder, they would pick you up, and then they would let gravity gruesomely kill you. So can you just imagine what they would do to you and to your family? There you are with all your independence and your little country plot of land. You have freedom to do whatever you want outside of the kingdom walls. When the Assyrian army comes marching, what do you do? The answer is obvious, right? You run. You run as fast as you can to Hezekiah's kingdom. You sprint as fast, you will leave behind everything you know and love to get behind his walls because here is the beautiful truth. Around the year 701 BC, Hezekiah built something for you. Let me show you one more picture. Um, this picture I actually took a few years ago in the city of Jerusalem, a little bit hard to see. That is Hezekiah's building addition. He built this, a wall of stone that at some points was 23 feet thick. And the Assyrians are strong, but, but they don't have cannons, they don't have tanks, they don't have drones, they don't have helicopters. If you are behind 23 feet of solid stone, guess what you have? Safety. Safety once you walk behind those walls through the gates before the doors are closed, guess who's waiting for you? The king. And King Hezekiah welcomes you with open arms, but he does not pass over his crown. And behind his walls, you will get to experience life within the kingdom. If you're taking notes, here's my only blank. I want you to remember today. Grab a pen. If you're taking notes at home, write this down too. A kingdom in the Bible is a place of two things. It's a place of authority and it's a place of safety. In the kingdom, there is a king. He has authority. You have to submit to him. Uh, You don't get to make the rules. You you have to bend the knee to his rules. You don't always get things your way. Things are done the king's way. In the kingdom, there is a king. There is authority over you And, and if it's a good kingdom, If it's a kind and merciful king like Hezekiah was, there is safety. There's a place where you can be defended against things you simply can't defend yourself against. And so, to put a spiritual spin on it, we would say the kingdom of God is the place in your heart or mine where God is the king, where he's the Lord, where he makes the rules. Where he decides what's good, bad, how we can live, and how we can't, what we need to applaud, what we need to abhor, what we repent of, what we keep doing, we give up all of that authority. It belongs to God and His kingdom. And and because God is the best kind of king, He provides safety against sin, against guilt, against shame, against fear, against death, against the devil against destruction, all these things that are bigger than me and you that we just can't defend ourselves against. He promises to provide a wall and doors and gates and bars and his arms are wide open for you and for me to live in his kingdom. He says, I'm Lord. The the gates of my kingdom are wide open, but I'm not sharing this throne. And in the kingdom, here's what I say about love and marriage and sex and divorce. Here's what I say about kindness, compassion, the rich and the poor. Here are my demands when it comes to gold, silver, taxes, treasures. Here's what I say about truth, about life, about meaning, about everything. And I'm not asking you for a vote. Jesus says, I'm telling you, I'm demanding of you, I'm ordering you to submit, because this is the kingdom. And that's the hard part, right? I mean, sometimes you you and I struggle with like the, you know, the church politics and the the man-made rules and the traditions that put us off. But have you ever just honestly heard something in the Bible or read something in the Bible and your heart just wanted to to fight back against it? It could be a, a thousand things, but when Jesus just flat out confronts you and your heart says, But I I don't want to. Uh, I have a hunch that for those of you who are here today, for those of you who are watching at home, that there's probably a, a bunch of you who are hesitant coming into the kingdom of God because of that very reason. You, you've heard enough about the Christian life and you realize it's not very easy. I mean, oh my goodness, it's not easy. To have every dollar and every cent that comes into your hands be under God's control instead of your own, uh, that's not easy. T- to forgive people and be patient with people and be kind with people instead of venting about people and criticizing people and going off on people, that- that's not easy. This, like, absolutely no sex allowed outside the bonds of the covenant of a heterosexual marriage? What? That's not just not easy. That feels almost impossible. And, and so it's very tempting for me and for you to to be like the person out in the country saying, uh, no thanks. Uh, the, the rules, the regulations, the laws, the lifestyle, uh-uh. <laughs> like, you do you, but I'm enjoying life out here. But if that's you, do you know what Jesus would say? The kingdom is a place of authority, yes, and safety. And if you don't want the kingdom, you you can hold on to your authority for a bit. But guess what you miss? Safety. Jesus called it the, the judgment day. It's the day when, just like that villager outside of Jerusalem saw 185,000 soldiers, when you and I will face something that we cannot handle on our own. Except, unlike the chance that you would have to run into the city if you saw the army marching, Jesus said that day will come like a thief in the night. And so he said, Today is your chance. The gates are open. Before the day comes and you have to stand before the king and he asks you to account for your behavior. Before the court is seated and God himself is the judge and before he asks you to account for all the things that you've done, all 185,000 plus of them, Jesus would say this, but before that day comes, before you are caught outside the walls with your own sin, your own shame, and your guilt, which God has to take seriously, Jesus would say to you, Repent. And then he would smile and he would say, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. The kingdom he wants you to enter The king that he wants you to submit to is not some kingdom on earth. It's not some self-centered, how much can I take from these people? How many rules can I heap on their shoulders? No, Jesus said, it's the kingdom of heaven. And yes, this king will challenge you and and yes, he will make you change a lot of things about your life, your ways, your efforts, and your direction. But if you change your mind and come into the kingdom, you will find out it is not hell. Pulling Jesus is hard. But it's not hell. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so for a few of you here today and and so many of you watching, I want to just plead with you, before the day comes, repent. Run to Jesus. I'm not going to lie, the kingdom is a place of authority, but please do not forget what else it is, a place of safety. And God's arms are wide open. He is kinder than King Hezekiah. He has broadened the walls so that you can fit inside. Even if you were a prostitute, a a tax collector, a a rebel, whatever, Jesus still wants you. So repent and believe this good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. But if you've had a bad run-in with authority, uh, I want to show you one last thing today. Uh, I want to show you that. Any you notice that little sign that's nailed to the top of Jesus' cross? I N R I? Any of you know what that means? Uh, it's a Latin abbreviation. In Latin, it's Jesus Nazarenos Rex Judorum, which stands for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That was the charge that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, put above his head. They wanted the world to know that on the cross was the king. And in case you missed it, there's a crown of thorns, crowns like like kings wear, So whatever your hesitation is about the kingdom of God, whether you think the authority will be misused or even abused, whether you're nervous that maybe Jesus is a little bit like your dad or your boss or your pastor, your your priest, the president, whoever, I, I want you to think about what kind of king is running the kingdom of God. It's stunning. Jesus is the king of compassion and the king of love. He is the king who left behind his throne in heaven so that you could join him in heaven. He is the kind of king who serves. He is the kind of father who has all the authority in the world and he uses it to serve the little children that he loves. He is like the husband who would die for his bride, give up anything for her. He's that kind of king. And yes, he is Lord. But he is the kind of Lord that saves. He saved a man like me. And he saves people like you. Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Because when the one who is running the show is the same one who gave up his life, you never have to be afraid of having a king. And friends, this is why the Lord's Prayer is the most emotional prayer in the world. Let me show you the lyrics of the Lord's Prayer just in case you don't know them. This is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, And it's a prayer that some churches like ours pray week after week after week after week. And there's a danger in that, you know. Um, How many of you think that you could pray the entire Lord's Prayer while at the same time thinking about what you were going to eat after church? (laughs) It's pretty easy, right? Once you get to know. But actually, when you slow down and think about it, um, this is the most emotional humble, passionate, beautiful prayer ever prayed. Because if you look once more at the words, do you notice the two things that the Lord's Prayer is about? Authority and safety. Let me prove it to you. Let me bold all the parts that are about God's authority. We pray God, hallowed be your name. We pray for your will, God. We say yours is the power and yours is the glory. You literally cannot be proud and mean the Lord's Prayer. That that rebellious part of the human heart, every time we pray it, we are going to war against it and saying, God, it's, it's not about my truth. It's about you. It's not about what I want. It's about you. It's not about my comfort. It's about you. It's not about my glory. It's about you. It's all you. God, we are giving up all authority when we pray this prayer. And maybe that's why they call it the Lord's prayer. And yet, what are we asking Jesus for? Safety. Let me underline those words for you. Uh, We pray, forgive us, God. If I had to stand before an army of all the things I've done wrong in my life, I what would I do? I'd be condemned, so forgive us. And, and lead us not into temptation, right? There are some things that if they would tempt you in this moment, you would collapse and crumble. That The tempter knows your name. He knows where the walls are brittle, so we say, God, protect us from that and deliver us. This world is jacked up. Something in me is jacked up. Deliver us from this evil. I, I can't escape it, God. I can't fix it, but you can. Keep me safe, And maybe that's why in this prayer, there's a concept that shows up in two separate spots. Do you see it now? The kingdom. Your kingdom come. Because yours is the kingdom. God, you, you take all the authority. When I try to do life my way, it doesn't end up great. So your will, God. Your kingdom, your name. But please open the gates. Open your arms that I could come and hide behind the beauty of Jesus. Because friends, if you and I pray that, uh, and if you and I believe that, the worst that life gets is like a kid in a warm bed during a bad storm. And we fall asleep every night and we wake up every morning in the warmth of his peace, his joy, and his uncontainable love. The the kingdom of God. What a concept. What a king. So brothers, sisters, citizens of the kingdom, would you please stand with me and let's pray, uh, not as robots thinking about dinner, but as citizens who have been saved from an unspeakable danger by the mercy, compassion, and love of the greatest king in the universe. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, What did Jesus talk about the most? I'll give you three seconds to answer. (laughs) Did you say love? Or forgiveness? Maybe heaven? If so, you are absolutely wrong. (laughs) The correct answer to my pop quiz is the kingdom of God. Okay, here's a bigger question. Do you know what that means? The kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, Jesus' number one teaching, is the place where God has the ultimate authority and he provides eternal safety. We might say it this way, it's the heart where Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Authority and safety, that is the kingdom of God. And to be honest, I never knew that. I read that phrase in my Bible for so many years without slowing down to think exactly what those words meant. But now, once I figured it out, I'll never forget it. Sometimes we just have to slow down to fire up our faith. And that's why I want you to have this brand new book called 30 Words to Fire Up Your Faith. you probably heard of words like blessed or grace, maybe even fancy churchy ones like atonement. But have you ever slowed down long enough to figure out what they mean? In this book, which is a unique combination of devotions on scripture and activities like puzzles and fill in the blanks and drawings, We're going to go deep into some of the Bible's biggest words. And you're going to find out, just like I did, that when we slow down to understand what the Scripture is actually saying, God does great things for our faith. 30 Words to Fire Up Your Faith is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request yours when you give by calling 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or text TIME to 313131 to give today. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources. Or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox, like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media, where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.